you have zero input as to what comes on the market for availability. So you might as well stay in tuned with that piece of it, even if you want to block me up, right? You don't want to be talking about interest rates on a week to week basis. I get that. I don't want to talk about them either, right? I'm just stuck having to talk about them on a week to week basis. Welcome to Elements of Styles, the business podcast that trades in scarce thinking for community, conversation, and ideas in abundance. Each week, I, Mark Styles, sit with professionals and entrepreneurs, both local and global, and learn how they each add value to their communities, their partners, and their teams. Please enjoy. Hey, welcome back to Elements of Styles. Today, I am grateful to have Mike Nielsen of Guaranteed Rate. Mike is a mortgage professional. Hey, Mike, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. So tell us about your jump to guaranteed rate. How's it going? It's going great. Um, Still kind of getting my feet underneath me, right, in terms of uh, I'm riding riding a bike, but I'm riding a mountain bike instead of what I was riding before, right? Like, and I don't even mean that in a bad way. It's just a sense of, you know, I'm doing the same things I was doing anywhere, doing mortgages, right, but I'm doing it differently. So it, the tools are there. The ability for me to turn out loans quickly is there. And it's been a great move so far. Let me ask you this, Mike. Somebody writes a review after they've worked with Mike Nielsen and his team at Guaranteed Rate. What does that testimonial look like? My drive for how clients view me after closing is that was easy, right? That was something that I didn't expect from the mortgage market. Everyone else views it as annoying. Ah, getting a loan. This is terrible. Why am I? Why am I dealing with this? I'm, I'm having all these headaches. Every negative I hear in the market, I try my best to create a process that removes that negative. And most of it's through communication and expectation setting. So a majority of the work I put in up front during pre-approval to tell the client that, and I'll use usually a construction or housing pun, that your pre-approval is your foundation. If we build a very solid foundation, it's easier for me to build the rest of the house. If I build a crooked foundation, I need to constantly shim the rest of the house to try to make it, you know, level, right? Like if I'm building off of something that's crooked, it's harder to build everything else. So let's take our time now during pre-approval, get everything done. And then when you actually have a house under contract, which is even more valuable now than it was before in today's current market, that should be the easy process. That should be the process where dominoes just fall over and the only headaches you have are just the nuances of real estate. We run into title issues, we run into appraisal issues, we run into things we have no control over from our side of the fence. So hopefully everything that's on our side of the fence, we've already tackled and taken care of during pre-approval. And you understand your closing costs. You understand the process of what you're going to do, who you're going to be talking to, how everything's going to unfold. So that when it does unfold, they just look back and go, well, you know, nothing bad happened. Which I tell them like, hey, boring real estate transaction is the real estate transaction we want. I don't want anything exciting to happen, right? Exciting is not good in our industry. So the end of the day that's how i want my reviews to read is mike was there walked us through the process easily nothing changed from pre-approval to closing from the standpoint of closing costs there was no there's nothing added that got popped up and you know i'd get a loan from him again tomorrow because he just made it easy 
I love it. So, so clearly you have a longstanding reputation. So you've built relationships with referral partners and I'm sure a lot of them are very loyal to you and are going to do their best to make sure their buyer works with you because they know you're going to get it done. What is the conversation between your referral partner and that potential client of yours sound like? What's the referral partner saying about financing in you? Probably that same talking point that I just went over, right? Is I know Mike's going to set you up for success. I know you're not going to be left in the dark when it comes to any sort of potential pitfalls that could come down, right? So most of my referral partners are realtors, right? So the way that a realtor wants to view a transaction going down is if I hand this client off to you, I want to know that you're doing your job on this side of the fence so that when I'm doing my job over here, I don't need to cross over into your world in any way possible, right? And that's the reason why I take such a thorough approach up front is because that realtor shouldn't. They should be moving on to the next transaction. They should be figuring out how to go to get the next listing, how to you know, go get the next buyer's house. And again, particularly in these markets, right, where houses are going on the market quickly and sold quickly, that's tough for both sides of the fence. That's tough if you're a list agent and you're a buyer's agent. So as a list agent, you're doing it fast to get on the market fast and you're coaching up your clients on how to do that. There's a lot of time and effort going into these markets when we're stretched like this, that if I'm not doing my job on my side and I'm making it harder for my referral partner, I'm not really a good referral partner, right? I'm, I'm actually a, a negative to the process. I'm a net negative. Even if the loan closes, if I made it any harder for that client or referral partner than I absolutely had to, I didn't really do my job well. Right. So I kind of want that same sentiment to, to boil over to how the referral partner thinks. Of it. That's so eloquently stated because the way you said, I, I'm not a good referral partner at that point. I'm, I'm a negative. I actually am instructing a, an otherwise smooth process. And folks, we're talking about a market in middle of June, 2021. So if you're listening to this 10 years from now or six months from now, you'll remember that there was a very scarce inventory of homes. What are you doing differently with your referral partners to help them win bids? Yeah. Um, calling out to the listing agent when an offer is made, like the moment an offer is made. I'm actually upset with my referral partner if they don't text me the instant an offer is made. Like, I want to be in the ear of that listing agent before they've even opened the offer. Because I want our team, because the way that I view it, and when I'm talking with clients up front, it's, and you're probably going to hear some thunder in the background there, um, it takes a team effort right now as a buyer, right? Having, if, you, if I was a buyer right now in today's market, I would want to be working with the team of a realtor, attorney, loan officer, insurance agent, whatever it is, whoever's on my team on this side of the fence that work well and communicate together and get the job done me as the lender, I'm trying to help that realtor convey that same confidence to that listing agent. So then, then that conveys to the sellers. My hope is that if it is a competitive offer situation with multiple bids, which I think we're running into in more deals than not right now, right? Like I think probably nine out of 9.9 .9 out of 10 deals is multiple offer situations in most of our market, right? Um, we need to do something to stand out irregardless of price or terms because I can't control price in terms of the clients, right? My whole mindset is get out of my way of things I can't control. I'm not the type of lender that's going to push people to 
bite off more they can chew from the standpoint of, hey, you're pre-approved for a million dollars, go buy a million dollar house. I don't do that. I stay within their economy and try to help them land in today's market within their budget, right? If I can help them achieve their goals, then, you know, I'm achieving my goals as well. So I stay there personally, and then I try to focus on things I can control. Can I make sure your pre-approval is solid? Can I call the listing agent and sing your praises the moment that offer is made? Um, I think I was at a closing three years ago at your office with, I think you were the closer, and you gave a check back to uh, one of our clients, if you can remember, and the seller's agent brought up that we weren't even remotely close to the best offer. And it was an absolute combination of the realtor putting together a great offer with the love letter from the heart from the client. And then I think I made a phone call at six o'clock on a Saturday night to the list agent. And then that all conveyed over from the list agent to the sellers. So the conversation about our offer was everything outside of terms about how strong we were. So that's the only plus one I can do really in today's market outside of, you know, helping someone figure out navigating, waiving financing, which is like a whole nother world, right? Like that's a, a whole different conversation. So, and again, that's a choice I can't make for them. So I have no control over, hey, do you guys feel confident waiving your financing? I could tell you till I'm blue in the face that your numbers are solid, but I can't control your job right? I can't control the outcome of a transaction. So I always leave that choice up to them. But what I can do is I can call a list agent for you and tell them that you're solid, right? And I can do that quickly. I can do that wherever I am in the world, right? Because I've already done your whole pre-approval. I'm not in front of the computer. The beauty of phones is I can, you know, be driving to dinner with my wife and say, hey, honey, hold on. Let me make a quick phone call. And I'm on the phone five minutes to the list agent, um, you know, going over Mr. and Mrs. Smith's offer and letting them know it's a full pre-approval and, and giving them all my promises throughout the transaction. And that's all you can do. If they get beat by $100,000, there's nothing you could do if you put your best foot forward. But I'm noticing that it's not always about price. It's, it's about terms. And you know, there's a lot of conversation about the love letters you talk about, right? Is there a risk to fair housing? But what I love about what you're talking about, it's almost like a lender love letter. Like, hey, listing agent, you know, I'm not going to tell you these folks religion or creed or how many kids they have, but I could tell you they're solid. We've already went basically through underwriting and you know, my company, I mean, everybody knows my company, right? I think that probably carries a lot of weight regionally too. Would you agree yeah. with that? Oh, it definitely does. And then I think, and I'll tell clients about this too, because I kind of have to ask permission from them. I'll say, Hey, this is what I'm going to do as far as my process to try to help your offers win. And I'm going to call the list agent and I'll never disclose anything that I can't legally disclose, right? All I'm giving them is iceberg level information, right? I'm telling them that I've pulled your credit and that we have good credit. I'm not giving them a number or any details. I'm telling them that I've, I've seen your money in the bank or whatever we're using for assets. I'm pretty much telling them I did my job as a pre-approval, right? I'm putting some words behind the letter that they have, right? Because the letter from the lender is pretty much saying, hey, someone's looked at this, right? I'm confirming with them that, yeah, I've actually looked at it. Because I think there's a little bit of a stigma in the market sometimes with pre-approvals is, hey, did someone actually look at this? Or did you just print this out and got a quick pre-qualification and it's all your self-served information? I actually joke with the listing agent and let them know that hey, this isn't a fast food pre-approval. This wasn't done in 10 minutes, right? This you know, I've gone through my process with these clients, which is very, again, that foundation piece, right? It allows me, if I am able to put them through my foundation process of a pre-approval, which is 
let's give you a mortgage outside of the house to do everything you need. We just don't have the house yet. Now I can confidently tell that listing agent, yeah, we're good. We're, we're waiting on the, you know, incidentals of the mortgage process, right? We got to get the EMD checks done. We got to get appraisal done. Maybe we got to pull title. We got to do all of that and still go through the process. But as it stands today, I've checked under every other stone. So they're as good as cash, listing agent. They're as good as cash. Give them a chance just because they don't have the cash. Yes. Let's, not, let's not box them out. This is guaranteed rate, Colin, and we're going to make this happen, right? Exactly. And guaranteed rate has a backup program that they call the Red Arrow Approval Express, which is taking the pre-approval from the loan officer level and bringing it through processing through underwriting. And the underwriter actually issues the commitment. So that's a conversation I'm having with a lot of clients right now because they just, they shut it down during COVID. They just reopened it back up. I want to say in like late May, early June, just say, Hey, we're back doing this again. Now we have the underwriter capacity where we can fold these into the mix. Now and we can turn them out in a, a decent time turn. That's almost as good as cash in the sense that they're actually getting a commitment letter. They're getting reviewed by underwriting and we're getting everything. I'm not talking about just getting, you know, the, the normal stuff for pre-approval, we're getting DOEs done or verifications of employment done on the back end of things. We're getting all the small little nuances done. They're actually working directly with the processor on my team to get that information. It takes an extra week, but in today's market, you never know what that little extra push could be to get the house. And if you don't know what the extra push is and you don't try to make it, you'll never know. Right. So like it's it's one of those things when I'm going over with clients, say, yep, here's your pre-approval for this Friday. Go out shopping this weekend. But let's put you in, in line for this program and hopefully we have a commitment by next Friday, just in case you don't get anything this weekend. Right. You might as well line that up, get that done. Here's your approval from the underwriter. Now you're hitting the market over the weekend. And then we've just gotten a little bit stronger competitively than the other guy or other gal making an offer. Are you starting to see some of the buyer fatigue? Completely. Um, mostly here at some realtors, right? Where they say, and I think this happens every market. I think it happens every spring market. I think if you remove some of the outside external elements of COVID, uh, low interest rates, things of that nature, I think just cyclically, real estate's hot in spring in New England because it's beautiful in New England. And you know, that's when everyone wants to be out buying houses. So if everyone wants to be out buying houses, that means everyone wants to sell their house, right? It just ends up being that supply and demand, you know, crossover. And you end up with the fatigue in the summer, even normally without any sort of extra, hey, rates are low. It's a huge market for that. And, you know, COVID pandemic and, and all of that happening. I think not even that happening. We still normally see some fatigue in summer anyway, because, the people that didn't buy houses in the spring that made 10 offers throughout the spring. Now summer's here and hey, I might as well go on a barbecue and go to the beach on a Sunday. I don't want to go to open houses anymore. Conversation I have with clients that start going down that road is if it's a good time for you mentally to check out, it's the best time for you to check in because someone else is mentally checking out. If you can stick with the fortitude and stick with it, you'll be in a better position because if you're thinking that it's a good opportunity to stop trying to buy, more people are also thinking that same way. So there's going to be less people trying to buy. So it puts you in a good position comparatively to what you're going through in the spring.
That's amazing advice because it's also the lag of the listings that are going to start coming, right? Finally, all the agents telling these folks it's the best time, the best time, the best time. They'll start coming out as the buyers start to fatigue. So don't fatigue. Keep, yeah. keep marching forward. I think it's, it happens the same about in the winter too, right? You, you kind of see almost very similar. We almost see north, south, east, west poles for our real estate market, I feel like, where spring and fall are kind of similar in the sense of activity, right? I start seeing a peak in activity. And what I mean by activity is pre-approvals, right? New clients coming into the pipeline and, and wanting to talk about the process of buying. I see a peak for activity in January, February, March, right? That's when, you know, if you're a smart buyer, you don't look at a house in April on a Sunday and then get pre-approvals. Doesn't mean that doesn't happen. You probably get your finances in order. Honestly, you get your finances order hopefully a few years down the road before you buy, but you really start to have the rubber meet the road with a, a lender or someone of that kind a few months before you're actually strategically making offers. So I see a peak in those months for just, hey, Mike, here's a pre-approval. Hey, Mike, here's a pre-approval. That's when I'm doing a lot of that paperwork. And then I see the same thing in about mm, end of July, August, September, right? And then deals start coming in fall, and then it slows down a little in winter, and then it just repeats itself in spring, slows down a little in summer, right? And I think a lot of it has to do with some of those external elements, right? People in summer, hey, let's go to the beach. I don't want to go in open house anymore. That spring market sucked. I don't want to deal with this anymore. Let's go to the barbecue up the street. And then winter, you have the holidays. And who wants to be out driving all around in snowy, slushy roads? But the amount of deals that happen where I've had that conversation with the client, I can think back to one of the winter deals I did. He was just tire kicking. We went over a very loose pre-qualification, didn't even want me to pull credit, just went over his like, you know, financial makeup, if you will. Like, Mike, I make this amount per year. I got about this amount in the bank. This is how much I'm paying for rent. We just kind of had a conversation. Most of my pre-approval start with just an assessment where we're just going over your goals, current financial situation, where we're at, getting to know each other and take the next step into pre-approval. By the end of the conversation, he told me, Mike, this was great. I thank you for all the information. I know I'm not a buyer this winter. I'll call you this spring. And then that's where we'll take the dive. And, you know, we'll do the full pre-approval, so on and so forth. I ended the call with him by saying, that sounds great. I'm here for whatever timeline you're willing to work with. Don't not look at the market, though. You have no control over what comes on in the market. And real estate is unlike any other industry. It's not the same as stocking shelves at the Apple store and getting that new iPod in the right color you want. You can't control the house that comes on the market. That house may never come on the market again, ever, right? Someone might buy it and that might stay in a family for the next 200 years. You have no idea. One week later, phone call from that client, Mike condo in the house that I want to buy. How quickly can you get me a pre-approval? Like fill out the application now, I'll get you one tomorrow. Got a pre-approval, made an offer of that house and gone. So I think it's kind of our job as the professionals on our side of the fence with the consumer to not pressure people, but to give them the information that's relative to their best decision making, right? Which is if your goal is to obtain a certain home in a certain area, regardless of time, which he didn't really have much of a time crunch. He had a flexible situation with his current living. It was just only in his mind that he was telling himself, for me, I'm ready in spring and hopefully the house is there. And I don't know if I didn't give him that trigger of, 
hey, just don't block your email. Make sure you're still getting your MLS emails from your realtor if you would have done that, right? Knowing that we could quickly turn around a pre-approval. So it's just a lot of advice I give to, to clients right now, particularly first-time buyers, right? Because they haven't gone through it before. They don't have that that callus, if you will, of how the real estate market turns and burns. So they don't know that if someone's selling in winter, they're selling for a specific reason because more likely than not, their realtor on their side of the fence is saying, hey, if you can hold out, sell in spring because your house shows better and you'll get more money more likely, right? History tells us houses are more valuable in spring. So if a house comes on the market in the middle of December, right before all the holiday crunch hits, they might be selling for another reason outside of monetary uh, reasons. So it's worth it if you're a buyer that has the buyer fatigue to constantly stay in the market. Right. If you're in the market, you're in the market. I don't, I don't believe in coming out of the market. I, I don't think that's ever a strategic win for clients other than the mental recoup factor of just, I need to step back. And even when they do that, I tell them, you know, don't delete Redfin, don't delete realtor.com. Don't delete any of these things that are keeping you, you know, technically in the market. Yes. Do I, do I not need to repull your credit every 90 days to refresh your pre-approval? We don't need to do that. But don't lose sight on what's coming on for inventory. Stay in touch with your realtor because you have no control over that. Again, back to that control, no control. You have zero input as to what comes on the market for availability. So you might as well stay in tune with that piece of it, even if you want to block me out, right? You don't want to be talking about interest rates on a week-to-week basis. I get that. I don't want to talk about them either, right? I'm just stuck having to talk about them on a week-to-week basis. So you want to block out some of the market. Great but you have no control of blocking out the inventory. And then that's probably when the house you want comes on. You make two great points. I mean, real estate is unique. It's the ultimate definition of unique, right? So, oh my goodness, I can't believe that house is for sale. And the fluid nature of the market. You know, again, we're talking about middle of June, 2021. It's so vastly different than middle of May, which is going to be so vastly different than middle of July of the same month that, I mean, of the same calendar year that you got to just keep your antennas up. That's all. Stay in the game. Yeah. And the conversations I have with clients about that really circles around you know, those are all extrapolated numbers for what we're looking at for trends in markets, right? If it's a seller's market, if it's a buyer's market, if it's neutral, but that doesn't take into account that every house is uniquely individual, right? You're going, I use the story of me and my wife buying our first house back in 2015, which 2015 was a pretty hot market too, right? It was decently competitive. We got beat out on a ton of places. We were FHA buyers, first time buyers, we were planning our wedding at the same time. The amount of clients I talk to that have the same story that we have where, hey, we're planning our wedding, we're buying our house, and we want to be in our house before our wedding or or vastly afterwards or, or whatever is kind of funny now that we've gone through it too. But we were you know, living with my family, saving for the wedding, saving for the first purchase of our home, and getting smoked on most offers, right? Like not even sniffing the top of the pile and and feeling a little discouraged. And I wasn't in mortgages back then. I was doing something different. My wife was, but I grew up in real estate. My dad was a developer. So I I knew how the model worked and what we were getting into and kind of what we were up against. And, you know, we just got beat out. We were probably in the market for a solid year and a half of just constantly looking at houses, making offers, losing going to houses we don't like. We got to the point where we started dividing and conquering 
where on lunch breaks, she would go to one house, I would go to another. And then we would debrief afterwards, right? Because we were just getting so sick of the every Sunday, go to one house and meet this other one and do that. So we just started trying to come up with creative ways to see as many houses as we possibly could to try to narrow it down. And we ended up with what I call two different markets within one market. On one Sunday, we went to a beautiful house in Pembroke that was, it was like your grandma's car that she kept in the garage every year and got the oil changed every 3,000 miles. But that was, you know, every two years she drove 3,000 miles and the thing was perfect. You want to buy that car, right? I remember having conversations with family members about the first car you buy. That's the car you buy. We went to a house that was taken care of like that. All the receipts were right next to the boiler for all the servicing. The house was just well-maintained, and it showed that way. And it was listed for 325 which was the top of our budget then. We offered 325 and I think it sold for like 375 We just got absolutely smoked. It wasn't even close. Then the house we bought was the complete opposite of that house in terms of condition. No one else wanted it. it smelled like dog. It was not a good house to buy, right? We got that for under asking just a week later. So within technically the same market in the term of current trends, which it was deemed a seller's market, we got smoked on one house, but then bought for under asking with a seller credit on another house. So I try to tell clients, don't get caught too much up in the current market trends and don't let it defeat you. Um, keep an open mindset house to house with your realtor. Have an open conversation of the strategic offer you make for each individual house because you really never know what, and that might come from my dad was a flipper. So my dad's mindset that he kind of instilled in me when it came to real estate was, again, don't, don't pay attention to any of those trends. Offer on you know what you find a value in for that specific house. You, you're going to find your own value in that house. Same with everyone else making their offer. Put your best foot forward. Try to find your value in that house and just move forward in that direction regardless of current market trends because current market trends is just a brush stroke of a big grouping of data. You know, I could probably chop that up into any different direction I wanted to make it to kind of paint a narrative. So it doesn't really have, it doesn't have a lot of power to me boots on the ground, right? If that makes sense. So it's a big way that I go over with clients right now in, in these types of markets with buyers. Cause I think a lot of what we're doing is making sure that clients just stay in the market, that they don't lose focus of their goals, right? And and sometimes when you see a lot of those headlines as a buyer, it can be defeating, right? Like in today's marketing for listings, it's, you know, if you're scrolling Facebook and you're a buyer, you're probably seeing two or three ads from realtors that say, hey, house just sold for 100,000 over asking and 40 offers and the market- One minute. So, yeah, you just scared a buyer away, right? Like that buyer now- is less interested in buying real estate, right? And that, and that's not always the outcome for every single house in the market, right? Um, so that's, I, I kind of take my own stories and, and I make sure that I'm giving as much information as I possibly can to clients. So they're just, they're making educated decisions. They're not feeling swayed in any direction. Well, it's super helpful because you're not, you're not giving them advice, right? You're laying out options, but you're also sharing experiences. Yeah. The shared experience is so much more impactful than the advice. You know, yeah. it's softer, it's less critical. I really appreciate chatting with you today. Like, you know, my hope is always to learn something new when I'm talking to somebody at these podcasts. And, and I certainly do with you and I appreciate you. Now, 
one of the more important questions that we have is um, that hopefully someday we're going to bring all of our guests together because they're all similar in nature, right? They're all pretty much in the real estate space with the exception of a few uh, outliers of folks that I like to interview, but we're going to try and bring them all together in a networking event. And karaoke is absolutely going to be center stage at this event. Mike Nielsen, you're up next. What are you singing? What am I singing? Uh, Probably Piano Man by Billy Joel. Ah, I like it. Crowd favorite. So you're going to get crowd support. They're going to sing along with you and do all. I love it. That's a brilliant, brilliant strategy. Now, the most important question of them all is if someone wants to get in touch with you to do some business with you, whether a referral partner or a consumer, how do they get in touch with you? Uh, Right to my cell phone, 781-733-6726. Awesome. Mike, thank you once again for sharing all of your your knowledge and um, wisdom, and I look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you as well, Mark. Appreciate it. Hey, thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to subscribe on your platform of choice for a new episode each week and share this with everyone and anyone. If you have any questions or comments or have an idea for another guest, feel free to shoot me an email at mstyles at styles-law.com. That's M-S-T-I-L-E-S at styles-law.com. And if you are a real estate professional, be sure to check us out on our private exclusive Facebook page, The Real Estate School at 892 for content and Massachusetts continuing education opportunities. Be well, folks. Today's episode is sponsored by Secure Title. Secure Title helps Massachusetts real estate attorneys, real estate agents, loan professionals, buyers, and sellers with all of their title, settlement, and escrow needs. Secure Title, S-E-C-U-R-I-T-I-T-L-E.com, where security and title come together. This podcast is being provided for informational purposes only. The podcast is not a comprehensive overview of the subject and is not intended to provide legal or financial advice or an endorsement of any product or business. The views expressed by podcast guests are their own, and their appearance on the podcast does not imply any endorsement of them or any entity they represent. Please seek legal, financial, or tax advice before taking any action on the matters or products discussed herein.